0: Good morning. Welcome home. Welcome those of you who are here. Welcome those of you who are watching online. If we haven't met yet, my name's Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor, and um, Pastor Kyle, our lead pastor, he's down at our Columbus campus today. as Pastor Schrannenbrock's last Sunday there, so he's down worshiping with them this morning. Um, and spending some time with them, but um, we're just we're just continuing our series that we've been doing called Big Questions, and we've been basically we've been leading you through our articles of faith in the Nazarene Church. We have sixteen articles of faith, and as we looked at those, we thought, you know, you can you can kind of arrange those and lump them together in a way that they really kind of address six big questions in life. And so we've talked about who is God. We've talked about what is Scripture. What is salvation? Last week, Kyle preached a great message on what is holiness and is it possible? And so today we come to our our fifth question, what is the church? What is the church? Now, when you think about the church, yeah, I grew up in church and I've been a pastor now in the church for almost 26 years. And so I've got tons and tons, hundreds, thousands of memories about the church And uh, Out of all those memories, though, it seems like the one that always comes to my mind first was from when I was in maybe fourth or fifth grade. My family was attending a Lutheran church. If you've never been to a Lutheran church service... Um, it's High Holy Church, right? It's very formal. Everything's done in a formal way. There's candles that are lit in a formal way. There's responsive readings between the pastor and the congregation. There's a lot of standing up and sitting down. There's a great big, in this church, there was a great big pipe organ in the balcony that would, you know, just warm through the hymns. And the pastor would wear a robe and a collar. If you have a Catholic background, a Lutheran service probably isn't a whole lot different than a Catholic service service and, um, and, the, and the pastor, you know, he had this big metal cross chain all around his neck and he would preach from what they call a crow's nest. And it was this little balcony, if you can imagine it, like a little balcony up there and imagine Kyle coming out every week and preaching the sermon from there. So this is like formal high holy church, right? And my, a friend of mine and I, we would usually sit on the front row and that was not a problem. We were always good. We'd pay attention. We'd sing, all that. Well, one day, a third friend joined us, and apparently this combination of the three of us was not good. Allegedly... We were a little rambunctious, apparently, on the front row. Now, again, this is formal high holy church, so my parents, they were kind of stuck six or eight rows back. You didn't get up in the middle of the service and go to the front row to discipline your kids. So my parents were stuck back there as we were allegedly giggling and carrying on through the whole sermon. And so uh, at the end of the service, the ushers came to dismiss us row by row because, again, everything's done very formally. And so, being on the front row, we were the first to be dismissed, and I'm just sauntering down the aisle. I've just had a good old time at church, and then my eyes, lock eyes with my dad's, and my dad's giving me that dad look, okay? I got to... And at that point, I'm thinking, I'm glad there's a roof full of witnesses in this place because I'm not sure where this is going. So he called me over to him and he said, you will apologize to the pastor on your way out the door. Let me tell you, I would rather have taken a spanking right there in front of everybody. Because, again, remember, everything's formal, high, holy. The pastor wears a robe and this big cross necklace and the collar. Even his name was intimidating. Pastor Mule Brad. Is that an intimidating name or what? And dad said, you're going to go apologize to him. And so I get you know, get through the line and we, you know, I, I look up the robe and the cross necklace and the collar and I look up. I'm sorry, Pastor Mule Brad. And he did what I was afraid he was going to do. He called down fire on my head. That's why I'm bald today. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't remember what he said, but I'll tell you, that was a parenting win because I don't think I ever uh, did that again. It was a parenting win for my dad, but uh, that, I don't know. You know, we all have memories from church. Maybe some of them good, some of them bad, but here's the bottom line. A healthy church, a healthy church is one of God's greatest gifts. Because you know what? Life is really hard. And I'm thankful that God has not called any of us, He's never called any of us, to follow Him as the Lone Ranger. When you look throughout Scripture from cover to cover, God is continually shaping a people of faith who follow Him and serve Him and worship Him together. And a healthy church, when it's functioning as God intended it, is one of his greatest gifts. And so, before we really jump into this question, what is the church? I want to talk about a few things that the church is not, okay? First of all, the church is not a building. This is a wonderful building. It is a resource that God has given to our church. But we, the people, you and I, we make up the church. The church is not a building. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it's the verse where Paul says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God doesn't reside in buildings. He resides in the hearts of people who love and follow Christ. That is the church. This building is a resource that he's given the church. Okay, the church is not one denomination. We do not believe that only Nazarenes are going to be in heaven. Uh, There's going to be Lutherans in heaven, and Methodists, and Baptists. And by the way, did you hear about the the Baptist and the Nazarene that were talking? And the Nazarene said, "You know, Jesus was from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene." And the Baptist said, "Yeah, but it was a Baptist who prepared his way." John the Baptist, you know. Okay, so so anyway, there, there's 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 going to be there's not just one denomination that makes up the church, right? Revelation seven nine. There are several verses like this in Revelation where. Um, There's a great crowd of people who are worshiping God, and it says they're from every nation, every tongue, every culture, every race. I personally think the only reason it doesn't say denomination in there is because there weren't denominations then. But the principle holds true today. There will be people of, of all Christian denominations who will be in heaven someday. The church is not one denomination. The church is not endangered. This is a big one. We need to be reminded of today, folks. Because in this culture that we're living in right now, it's really easy to be chicken little. The sky is falling. The church is endangered. I used to. There's an evangelist I heard several times when I, early in my ministry, and he would he would always say. He would say, "You know, the church is just one generation from becoming extinct." And that never really sat well with me. And I know what he was trying to do. I know what he was trying to accomplish. He was talking about the importance of passing the faith along to the next generation. I know, I get that. But folks, the church is not going to become extinct. It's not. You know what Jesus says here in Matthew 16, 18? He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Does that sound like the church anywhere at any time is on a shaky foundation? Jesus himself said, I will build my church. He didn't attach conditions to that. He didn't didn't do it. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now... The church, at different times, different cultures, different periods of history, we may lose political and cultural influence, but that is not the same thing as becoming extinct. You think the church in China has much political or cultural influence? They have zero They are persecuted for their faith. They have to worship in secret. But you know what? You know the church is thriving in China? The church has always thrived even under persecution. The church is not endangered, folks. Can we stop talking like that? It's not endangered. The church is not going anywhere. Lastly, the church is not perfect. It's not perfect. And and the scriptural reference for that is just about all of Paul's letters in the New Testament. It kind of drives me crazy when, you know, today a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know what's wrong with the church today? As if there was a time when there wasn't something wrong with the church. Folks, there's always been dysfunction in one level or another in the church. You know why? Because the church is made of pure people and people are imperfect. People sometimes spit when they talk like I just did. I don't know if you on the front row saw that. The church has never been perfect and even the going back to the first generation of the church if the ch- there was no dysfunction even in the first generation of the church we wouldn't have half of our new testament <laughs> cuz most of Paul's letters were written to churches to address different types of dysfunction in the church so let's let's not pretend like we are we're not We're not perfect. And if you're new to this church, if you attend here long enough, somebody here is going to frustrate you or hurt you or anger you at some point. I will probably frustrate you. First service, I thought I was going to get an amen from my family. Unfortunately, I didn't. (laughs) But I bet they were thinking it. Church is not perfect, it's not perfect. And, and the, you know, one of the biggest things I can say to that, this is a good principle for church. It's a good principle for marriage, for working. It's a good principle for any relationship that you have at all. And it's this. Give people, give people room to be as imperfect as you are. Give people room to be as imperfect as you are. That one thing, if you're, if you're struggling in your marriage, that one thing could make a huge difference in your marriage. That's true in church too. Nobody here is perfect. And if anybody acts like the church is perfect or expects the church to be perfect, then in my mind, that, that may be because you're viewing the church as a country club. Church was never meant to be a country club. It's meant to be a hospital where lost and broken people come. And wherever you have lost and broken people, they're imperfect. At some point, they're probably going to say something or do something. So give people room to be as imperfect as you are. Are there hypocrites in the church? You bet. There's hypocrites at Walmart too, but I still go to Walmart. There's hypocrites in the church because we're not perfect. Now, that doesn't justify anything. That doesn't excuse anything. And by all means, yes, we need, to, we need to watch for and seek God and ask Him to show it. God, show us what we need to do better as a church. Show us our imperfections. Show us our dysfunctions and help us to change it. And by the way, the fact that we have all of these letters addressing dysfunction in the church, that tells us where to go to address the dysfunction. But let's, let's, not, let's not expect the church to be perfect because it's not. So, a church is not a building, the church is not one denomination, the church is not endangered, and the church is not perfect. So, what then is the church? I want to try to just breeze through our article of faith on the church and then just briefly touch on the three that follow it, okay? So, this is from... Our, our Nazarene article of faith on the church. The first question it answers is, what is the church? We believe in the church, the community. The church is the community that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, right? Like I said, it, anybody who, is, who loves and follows Jesus Christ is part of the church. They're the covenant people. The church is the covenant people of God made new in Christ, the body of Christ. All throughout the New Testament, it refers to the church as the body of Christ. We are the physical presence in the world of Jesus. And we're called together by the Holy Spirit and through the word. That's what the church is. And then it goes on and addresses what does the church do? Well, God calls the church to express its life in the unity and fellowship of the Spirit. In other words, we're to seek unity. We're to seek relationships with each other through the Spirit. Uh, we worship through the preaching of the Word. That's one thing the church does. We observe the sacraments. We'll talk about that in a second. And then we seek to do ministry in the name of Jesus. And we do that by seeking obedience to Christ. We seek holy living. Kyle preached on that last week. And we seek mutual accountability. I've told my sons before, you know, we've got covenant eyes on their phones. And, and, and one of my sons in particular a couple times has said, well, it's because you don't trust me. I said, no, this is about accountability. If you're going to follow Jesus, at some point you're going to need somebody to hold you accountable. You need somebody. If you're going to follow Jesus, at some point you're going to need somebody who will ask you the tough questions. How you doing on this, area? And so we provide that for each other in the church, mutual accountability. So those are all things that the church does. And then what is the church's purpose? Well, as it it continues, the mission of the church in the world is to share, I love this phrasing, to share in the redemptive and reconciling ministry of Christ in the power of the Spirit. In other words, our ultimate mission is to connect ordinary people with an extraordinary God. It's on the wall our mission to the world and to our community is to tell people that they can have a relationship with the God who created them and loves them through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross that is our mission that's our purpose that's why we exist and then finally well how do we fulfill that purpose the church fulfills its mission by making disciples Jesus that's what Jesus said go and make disciples and we do that through evangelism, that's sharing our faith. We do it through educating, education, that is uh, teaching people what it means to follow Christ, showing compassion, working for justice, and bearing witness to the kingdom of God. And so that's the, that's the official statement of what we believe about the church in the Nazarene denomination. And so as you as you keep going through there, like I said, three really just... Three quick summaries of the next three articles of faith. And the reason I'm doing this is because all three of these articles kind of illustrate the things that we're supposed to be about as the church. So the next article is on baptism. Baptism is a sacrament. That means it's a, it's a, a sacred, holy thing that Jesus himself modeled for us. And every believer ought to be baptized. It's a, it's a means of grace. It's a symbolic representation of the new life that we have in Christ as we have repented of our sins and received salvation. And so when I think of baptism, I think of evangelism, right? We want to lead people into a relationship with Christ to where they repent, they confess him as Lord, and they're baptized as a symbolic demonstration of that. And then communion. Communion is also, that's another sacrament. We believe in two sacraments. It's a sacred holy thing. Jesus commanded it. He modeled it. It's a means of grace, communion. It's a symbolic demonstration of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Where the bread represents his broken body. The juice represents his shed blood. And Jesus said, now go and do this in remembrance of me. So, it's a sacred thing that we do. And when I think of communion, I think of discipleship because here's the thing Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians communion isn't just about remembering what Jesus has done, communion is also giving thanks for the promise that Jesus is coming back. And what are we supposed to be doing until he comes back? Making disciples. Being about the work of the kingdom. So when I think of baptism, I think of evangelism. This is just me personally. When I think of communion, I think of discipleship. And then the next article is about healing. Do you believe God heals? That I don't think many of you do, <laughs> based on that response. Do you believe God heals? Yes, God heals. And sometimes God heals miraculously. Sometimes He heals through medical science. We're thankful that He's given us medical science Sometimes, God chooses to heal ultimately by calling somebody home to heaven. But we believe God heals, and we strongly encourage um, our people to pray for each other and to pray for healing. And so when I think of that, obviously, I think of Paul's words where he says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Evangelism, discipleship, carrying each other's burdens, in other words, being there for each other, Those are all, that's all kind of a summary of what we are to be about as a church. And a church that is effectively doing these these three things. That's a healthy church. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But that's the foundation of a healthy church. So, I tried to just breeze through. That's kind of where, that's the official doctrine of the Nazarene church on what exactly the church is. And so now I want to just take a minute and I want to look at a passage of Scripture where the writer of Hebrews kind of he kind of brings all of this together. We're not going to read this whole passage, but if you want to find Hebrews 10 in your Bible or Bible app. Um, a little background, kind of up to this point, the author's been talking about how Jesus has brought us salvation and he's brought us the cleansing of our sin. All of that's what we've been talking about, excuse me, the last two weeks. And so he's, he's been talking about all that. And he says through his shed blood, through Jesus' shed blood, we can enter into the presence of God. Holy, blameless, and without stain. Praise God and hallelujah. That's what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then in verse 19, we come to this word, therefore. And we've talked about this before. Whenever you're reading through the Bible and you come to the word, therefore, that's a really important word to pay attention to. Because that word, therefore, it kind of means, in light of what I've just said, here's what that means for us. In light of what I've just said, if what I've just said is true, here's what we need to do with that. So that's what the writer of Hebrews is giving us here. Since all of this is true, here are three things that we should do. He actually gives us five, we're going to talk about three of them, because three of them relate specifically to us being the church. And so the first thing he says is in verse 24, says, Let us consider, in light of everything that we just said about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, in light of that, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Now, what does that mean? I don't talk about the Greek a lot, but sometimes it's really important to look at the Greek language that the New Testament was originally written in. And there's two, two places in this passage where it's really, really important. This word that we translate spur one another on. It means to encourage, but it also means to incite or provoke. Now, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, what do you think of when you hear the word incite? Maybe a riot, right? He incited a riot. What do you think of when you think of the word provoke? Maybe anger. He provoked me to anger. He acted in such a way that I didn't have any choice but to lash out. He provoked me, right? That's what we think about. That's what we associate those two words with. You've acted in such a way that I had no choice but to respond in anger. But in our text, the author says, in light of this, he says, let us incite one another. Let us provoke one another. Not towards riots or anger, but he says towards love and good deeds. Provoke each other to love and good deeds. Incite love and good deeds from people. In other words, here's what he's saying. In light of the sacrificial love of Christ, let us continually live our lives in a way that people can't help but respond with love and good deeds. There's a passage, you know, we've got Thanksgiving coming up this week. There's a passage, I think in 2 Corinthians I've I've preached on before at Thanksgiving where, you know, usually when we think of Thanksgiving, we talk about being thankful. There's a passage, I think in 2 Corinthians, where it talks about giving and, and living in a way that it causes other people to be thankful. That's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. Thanksgiving isn't just about being thankful. Live your life in a way that other people can't help but be thankful as well. Live your life in a way that other people can't help but respond in love and good deeds. As the passage says, live in a way that inspires other people to respond in love and good deeds. You know what, you can't do that if you're living out your life in isolation, can you? The Bible is full of one another statements. Pray for one another, um, encourage one another, carry one another's burdens, one another, one another, one another. You can't live out all those one another's living in isolation. We live those things out in the context of the church, and in the context of our faith. So, next one. Let us not give up meeting together, he goes on. Verse 25, he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, Let us not give up meeting together. It sounds like even the first generation of the church had to address people who were trying to live out their faith in isolation apart from the body. Even in the first generation, they had this. And, and I would say in our individualistic culture today, it's really conducive to that mindset. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I just don't feel like I need to be uh, involved with other believers. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Because again, from cover to cover, God is forming a people of faith. First it was the family, and then it was the nation of Israel, and now it's the church where we love and follow and serve and worship Him together. That's the purpose of us as a church. And so the author says, don't don't stop meeting together. You need each other, in other words. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a crazy world we live in. And we need each other's encouragement, and we need each other's accountability. So don't stop meeting together, he says. Don't pull away from the church. And yes, I know. Again, we already touched on this. Yes, people in the church occasionally might hurt you or frustrate you or anger you. but don't let that drive you away from the family of God and from participating in the family of God, from worshiping and serving together with the family of God. So what my experience tells me, and that's all I can talk about is my experience, but in 26 years of ministry, my experience tells me that when... When someone hurts you or frustrates you in the church, it's usually not because they're ju- they're just a horrible evil hypocritical person. Usually it's just because they're human and they're not perfect as we've already talked about. Nobody's out to get anybody. But we're not perfect. And yeah, sometimes we're going to frustrate, and sometimes we're going to hurt, and sometimes we're going to anger. But don't let the imperfect humanness of people in the church keep you from being part of the church. And so, I I, want to say this. there's sort of two sides of this. There's two two sides of hurt in the church. One side is don't be a jerk to people, right? I mean, that kind of of sums it up, right? Don't be a jerk to people. Practice the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Treat people with kindness and grace and compassion, When you hurt somebody in whatever context and you become aware of that, that's another thing. A lot of people that I've seen who got hurt and left the church, the the offender didn't even know anything about it. They didn't even have a chance to apologize or make it right because the person never went to them and talked about it. But if you're the the offender and you realize, you know, become aware that you hurt somebody, you, you have two choices. One, you can make excuses and justify it. Or you can do what the Bible says, own it and seek forgiveness and make it right. Right? So that's one side of it. The other side of church hurt, if you've been hurt, you also have two choices. You can allow yourself to get stuck there and be bitter and hold a grudge, or you can do what the Bible says which is let go of your right to stay angry and let go of your right to get even and let go of your right to be bitter. The word for all of that is forgiveness. That's what forgiving means. It means letting go of that and looking forward instead of backwards. So if you have been hurt by the church I just feel like I need to say today. And I know this isn't the same, but you may never hear from that person. You may never hear the words, I'm sorry. So, on behalf of that person, I know it's not the same, but on behalf of that person, can I just, will you just hear me say today, I'm sorry? As a leader in the church, I'm sorry. Wish I could go back and change it for you, but I can't, and you can't either, and neither can that person. So what if you just ask God, God, would you help me to to start looking forward instead of backwards? Would you help me to forgive? But by all means... Please, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, don't disconnect from the body of Christ. The Bible tells us how to get through that stuff. On both sides, it tells us how to navigate hurt and conflict. And when we just follow what the Bible says, usually things end up okay. You may never be best friends with that person, and that's okay. But the Bible tells us how we can at least reach a point where there's peace, where there's not this awkward tension, and where we're not looking back constantly and stuck, but we're moving forward and growing in Christ. Don't don't stop meeting together, Paul says. Instead, address the situation in the ways that the Bible tells us to address it. Well, the third thing that that Hebrews tells us, says encourage each other. And do that all the more as you see the day approaching. The day, that's that's a reference to the second coming of Christ, right? He says all the more. Encourage each other all the more as the day of Jesus' return gets closer. Now, here's the second place where we're going to look at the Greek word a little bit. This word, encourage. In English, we all kind of have an idea of what it means to encourage somebody, but the Greek word that we translate, encourage, it has a whole bunch of layers of meaning. Here's what all this that word means in Greek: it means to invite or to call to one's side. You ever been struggling with something? And you just feel alone and you call somebody, or maybe God puts it on somebody's heart and they call you or they come see you. I remember one time. Sarah, some of you know, Sarah has a very minor seizure disorder. It's completely controlled by medication. But the first time she had one, we'd been married for a few years. She had never had one in her life. Talk about, that was one of the scariest moments of my life. She had it at work. I beat the ambulance to the hospital, to the emergency room, had no idea what was going on. I, at one time, had been pre med, so I had just enough knowledge to be dangerous and scared. You know what I mean? You know, knowing all the things that this could be. And I'm standing there in the waiting room. The the ER doesn't even know she's coming yet. I'm by myself. I can feel like the anxiety building up. And then our pastor walked in the door. And let me tell you the sense of peace that suddenly came to me. Because a friend and a pastor walked through that door and was now by my side. That's part of what this word encourage means. To invite or to call somebody to your side. It means to summon to one's aid. To urge or to encourage like we think of it. And it means to comfort or cheer up. Isn't that a beautiful definition of that word encourage? I mean, this is is what we're to be about. This is what a healthy church is to be about. It's all of this right here. And again, you can't do this as an isolated individual trying to live out your faith completely disconnected from the body of Christ. And what's more, it says, let me go back. If you believe that Jesus is coming back soon, and if that was true in the day this was written, how much more true is it today I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or 100 years from now. I don't know. But we're closer today than we were then. So he says, as you see the second coming getting closer, that's all the more reason to treat each other this way, this way, to live and worship together this way. Jesus is coming soon. So let's not give up meeting together. Let's not isolate ourselves. Let's live our lives in a way that inspires other people to give thanks and praise to God and to love Him and love other people. Let's live our lives in ways that inspire that in people. And so, I'd, honestly, I've wrestled, I've wrestled all week with how to end this sermon, and I want to I I, I want to put these up there. If you want to take a picture of these, these are some things that we talk about in our Next Steps classes and some different ways that we connect with the church. Maybe you don't have anything, any deep stuff going on in your life. Maybe you don't have any deep hurt in the church that you're wrestling with or anything like that. Um, Maybe there's just one of these areas that you would be willing to just kind of pray about. You know, corporate worship, that's what happens in here. You know, maybe God, maybe God would lay it on your heart to be here more often or to, uh, to, to come with an, a more expectant heart for what God may want to speak to you through his word or, or through our music. Um, you know, is, is there some way that you can connect with the church and participate in the life of the church more completely through corporate worship? Or maybe small groups, you know, there's, there's something that happens in here that doesn't happen in a small group, but there's also something that happens in small groups that doesn't happen in here. Maybe God would lay that on your heart to get involved in a small group. Maybe it's serving, serving in the children's department or the teen department or as a greeter or, or anything. We have any number of ways that you can serve and contribute. Maybe it's financial giving. Maybe you're not giving anything. You know, most of us on our own can't, make much of a, don't, you know, can't afford to make much of a difference in the community or in the world. But when we pool our resources, we multiply our ability to make a difference. So maybe that's something, that's, maybe that's a way of participating in the life of the church that, you know, that God would, would lay on your heart. So maybe just take these, these four things and, or something else you think of, pray about it, and say, God, how can I, you know, what's one of these things that I can work on to be more deeply connected with the church, with the body? Okay, so that's, that's the, I'll leave that to you, but here's what I, here's what I want to leave us with today. My mind keeps, and my heart keeps going back to those who have just been deeply wounded by the church. And I don't know if any of you here are in this group of people that I'm thinking, I'm thinking if you were, maybe you wouldn't be here, or maybe you are, but you're struggling. Maybe this is for somebody you know. Maybe this is for somebody watching online who's keeping their distance. Sometimes when we get hurt by people, whether it's in the church or anywhere else, sometimes we, we get stuck there. And we, want, we, we think in our minds, if I could hear that person say, I'm sorry, if I could hear them say this or hear them say that, then that would help me move on. But let me ask you this morning, if that's you, Let me ask you this morning, what if you never hear those words? Again, whether we're talking about church or anywhere else, what if you never hear those words that you think are going to help you move on? Or what if you do hear them, but they don't help you the way they thought they would? Because they may not. See, there comes a point where we have to stop looking to other people to get us out of a stuck place. And we have to take responsibility for our own recovery from that grief. So, what if you prayed today? said God it would be nice to hear those words I'm thankful Adam apologized to me on behalf of that person but it's really not the same I'd like to hear it from them but you know what whether I do or not God I don't want to be stuck here today I choose I choose to look forward God, today I choose to walk in your forgiveness. I choose to let go of the hurt and the bitterness and my right to get even. And I'm moving forward. What happened if you prayed that prayer today? I am sorry on behalf of whoever hurt you. I am deeply sorry. God has a better life for you than to stay stuck in bitterness and anger, and he wants to set you free from that. Will you let him? Will you let him set you free from that? God help me. I can't do this by myself. know through your power, through your Holy Spirit, I can move past this grief and this hurt. What if you prayed that prayer today? The church is a group of redeemed people, not perfect people, redeemed people that live and serve together in such a way that their lives and their communities are transformed. It's one of my favorite definitions of the church. What can you do? And what can I do? What do we need to do together to live this out? To make this a reality for this local church family? Just stand with us. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of the cross. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And today we thank you for the gift of the church. God, we ask you, we ask your forgiveness for our imperfections, our sins, our selfishness. We ask your forgiveness for the hurts that that we cause people sometimes and we ask for your help to be better show us where as individuals and as a body of believers show us where we need to do better Give us the wisdom and the courage to own it. Again, as individuals and as a church body. Give us the courage and the wisdom to own it. And Father, give us the grace to forgive. We love you and we trust you in Jesus. name.